Hispana, tu sabe. <laughs> Happy motherfucking Hispanic Heritage Month. Now, I mean, I think I forgot to mention that last time. Hispanic Heritage Month runs from September 15th to October 15th, which I always thought was weird just because my birthday lands right in the middle on October 1st, and I'm exactly half Hispanic. I don't know. Thought it was interesting, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, man, welcome back. Episode 59 of the K Podcast. How the fuck you doing? Figured I'd start with a little Hector Lavo. Get the vibes right for the episode, you know what I mean? 
But we don't have any questions today, so we're going to go ahead and get right into it here. Man, literally just coming off the motherfucking offseason, man. Let's keep it tall. J. Cole is on tour right now, the offseason tour, and he just came through Orlando last night, the Amway Center. So I was up in that bitch, yeah, I mean. And that shit, um, it was dope, man, you know. It's been a long time since I've been to a big show, period, because of COVID and everything. So to see the arena shows coming back was awesome. I've also never actually attended a concert at Amway. I've been to events there, basketball games and stuff like that, but I don't think I've actually ever been to a show there. So that was fucking dope. Yeah, I mean, um, it's the off-season tour, J. Cole and 21 Savage. So those two gentlemen performed, obviously. They started mad late. Doors opened at 8, or they were supposed to open at 8. They actually opened around 9. But there was an opener, what's his name, Murray? Um is on the song My Life with J. Cole, was supposed to open up the whole show, but I think they were just running so late, they literally skipped past his whole set. So 21 Savage started the show around 10.30. I think it was a little after 10.30. And then he played for probably 30 minutes or so. And then J. Cole came on around 11.45. They had to, you know, break down 21 Savage's set and set up Cole shit. So that took him a little bit. But Cole started around 11.45 and ran solid through about 1 o'clock, maybe like 1.15. So, I mean, it was a dope show, you know what I mean? Definitely worth it. It was just interesting to see... Um, it was especially interesting for me because I saw J. Cole back at UCF when I was a student, probably like 2010, 2011 or some shit. And um, just to see his growth from that show, I mean, that was babyface Cole, you know, didn't have the dreads, barely had any facial hair. I'm sure he had like a little beard or whatever, a little goatee, I think. I don't even think he had the beard yet. He just had the goatee. You know what I mean? Like, was still a relatively unknown artist. People knew who he was. But I remember me and Butter were talking about it. At that show, I think there was maybe 50 to 100 people on the floor. Because that was, you know, it was like standing room only. So to see that, 50 to 100 people, young dude, kind of like on the come up. To see this guy, I'm pretty sure he sold out the arena. You know what I mean? They didn't like make an official announcement or anything, but there were so many people there. It had to be at least like, I don't, I don't fucking know. It was a lot, thousands of people in this huge arena. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> I can't even put it to words, man. I do want to say also, though, I, I saw this video that I thought was dope. I know he started off the tour in Miami. So there's this clip circulating on Twitter and shit. He brought out Drake and Future and all these other artists, but there's a clip of Drake basically giving Cole his flowers to his face, you know what I mean, on stage in front of everybody while he's still alive. So I thought that was dope because too many times, unfortunately, you know, we got to wait till these people pass away to see them get their, their, their due respect, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I thought this was pretty dope. I'm going to play this real quick. This is Drake. Basically, you know, telling Cole he's the fucking man on stage. 
I think this was filmed by someone in the crowd too. I just like, I gotta say this just cause, you know, I, like, I, don't, I don't always wanna have like a heartfelt moment when we're on stage together. <laughs> you know, you did that pipe down freestyle the other day, right? Right? And you were saying in the freestyle about, you know, they handed you the bronze and whatever, whatever, me and Kendrick. I just want you to understand something. You are genuinely, without a doubt, one of the greatest rappers to ever touch a mic in this lifetime. And I want to let you know, it's way too many people in the world that think and know that J. Cole is at top on the pole position. So don't ever see I love you with all my heart. You're my brother, one of my favorite artists, and I always appreciate you having me out here for real. I just want to say I mean, it's good. It's just good to see not only a huge, another huge artist like J. Cole giving him homage, but it's fucking Drake. You know what I mean? I think in the trilogy, like he said, uh, Cole, Drake, and Kendrick, most people, not saying myself, but most people would probably put Drake at the top of that, that totem pole, you know what I'm saying? So to see him... Basically just being like, you know, you're, fuck what people say, bro. Like, you're one of my favorite artists. To hear it from the horse's mouth, you know what I'm saying? It's definitely dope. Shouts to both of them, Drake and Cole. But yeah, it's motherfucking Cole world, man. Let's see what else we got over here. I guess we'll go ahead and get into new music. Um, Cole himself doesn't have any new music, but he's actually featured on a new single that just dropped the other day. Joiner Lucas featuring J. Cole. This song is called Your Heart. I'm sorry, 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 We've been rocking with each other for so long, yeah. Maybe that's why it's been harder to move on, yeah. And you change too. And your mama and your friends, they gonna blame too. And you hate it when somebody say my name, ooh. Every time you hear my name, you wanna drink, ooh. You wanna go out, you wanna get drunk, you wanna get lit, lit. You wanna get crazy, do everything that you never did. You wanna get bent, you wanna revenge, you wanna get dick. But you ain't about that life, so you might fuck a bitch. You might, you might break a window. You might do some wild shit out of impulse You say that you hate me and we not involved But you still checking on me trying to find info I know, I broke your heart, huh You knew I was a fuck nigga from the start, huh You should've listened when they said I was a dog, huh You should've listened to your head when you had thoughts, huh That's what you thought, huh I let you scar, huh You'll never be the same again, put that on girl, huh I took your heart and then I tore that shit apart, huh I fucked you over, did you dirty, did you wrong, huh I did you wrong, huh I hate a fuck nigga, used to be a fuck nigga Couldn't even blame her if she did fuck niggas You run your bitch through the mud, you deserve that So you can feel it for yourself where it hurt at 
What goes around comes around, I know you heard that. While you was creeping, tell me, did it not occur that? This nigga sliding in the DMs every AM, every PM. Used to be like automatic, she would curve that. That was before when you was loyal, now it's thirst traps on a profile. And niggas know how to spot a chink in your armor, you been tripping, dog. You ain't been keeping your promise, you been pimping, dog. Now bitches wink in your comments, she suspicious, dog. And now you reaping your karma, she got niggas, dog. Calling her phone while you gone and your bitch ass can't even feel no way Cause you doing her the same Now you know the pain And we used to be the dynamic duos and flames And you too proud to see that you hold the blame From all that playing, nigga, we too old for games Man, you broke her heart, huh? When you met her, she was young and hella pure, huh? Yes, sir. Once again, that is your heart, Joiner Lucas and J. Cole. This came out a couple days ago, you know what I mean? But what else do we got for new music here? I know the motherfucking God dropped. Man, if you know hip-hop, you know this motherfucker is one of the most underrated dudes to this day, and he's been around since the 90s. Motherfucking AZ. Doe or Die 2 just dropped. I'm gonna play, uh, I'm gonna play this song Ritual off AZ's new album. It's him, Conway the Machine, and Lil Wayne, you heard? It's not a performance, it's a ritual. When I rhyme, it's like the city is mine. Play who? No label ain't give me a dime. Came through like if you grateful, that's how you really should shine. Flooded Jesus in that great coupe at the grittiest times. They know me. Since 9-6, wrist was lit with a rolling. Speak of bricks, been in the mix. Ain't shit you can show me. A king, occasionally seen. Stay in the wings. It's accessory when you close and your folks spraying them things. And Mussolini, the Louis mask over the grill. Through the math, ain't gotta ask. Nigga holding for real or own in the seal, don't parting. Back sucker ducking and dodging. Fire spitter, who can fuck with the arson? I'm neutral, never frugal. Salute you if the feeling is mutual. Play cuckoo, niggas coming to roof you. The true school, the vet, and the ghosts involved. Out of respect, still connect with the older guards. There's no facade, I'm epic. My style is perfecting and yeah. epic. Not a blemish, let me finish my uh, breakfast. Look what I did with a pot. Look what I did to the block. Bust the Prezi band, fuck it. Look what I did to the watch. Look what I did for the game. Look what I did when I dropped my album Kicked in the door, niggas thought was forever locked I woke them niggas up out of their sleep Bum ass niggas was going broke in the projects Trying to figure out how they gonna eat See how they gonna speak on me They know I'm constantly body and beats Best to come out of the east is Brown and 03 Machine inspired y'all, I fired off first The last year numbers alone, I can retire off merch My jacket is fire Mars, uh, diamond cross They say I'm a rising star, the PJ, the flag across earth These are the perks Require hard work, but I acquire more worth. My niggas built the empire off perch. That's fish, and my niggas had bricks of it. Fuck this rap shit, we still good for cooking pies like a brick oven. Rick Owens trench on my wrist flooded. Put that drip on and your bitch love it. Throw your prints all on my bitch luggage. My neck looking like I did Will Smith numbers. I'm gonna be running shit the next six summers. Make her friends sick. I make money, make money. 
I make ugly taste lovely. I make money in my sleep and deposit what I wake up with. Got the Draco on the gap with the long tail in the back. I might break my own pad my own self on the back. Break the bank like I break the backboard. They call me Shaq. The fans try to book me. Found out that book was an almanac. Call me back tomorrow, baby. I'm busy. The work continues. I eat rappers alive and ask for the dessert menu. After the church, send you the casket and dirt. Get you the Nina. Gonna give you head right after she flirt with you. Yeah, man. Fucking OGs with the, not even a young OG, but the new OG, fucking Conway. AZ, Conway, Lil Wayne. Go get that fucking new album, Do Would Die 2, you word. And last but not least, you know I got to play my motherfucking brother on the pod, man. You know him. <laughs> you better fucking know him if you've been listening, man. My motherfucking brother, P. Butter, dropped a new single featuring the OG Mickey Fax, Runneth Over, all right? These cups are so full, they're fucking running over. You heard? About to go in, Dunn. I'm trying to be historical and get your ass a show like hurry up at the Oracle. These days it's hard for me to be merciful. They thought it was a joke until the shit got personal. I out hustle you before I ever hassle you and it don't help that a nigga spit like a snack of tooth. Let's keep it practical before she get irrational. So act natural. My raps is all factual. Fucking with the team and the damage is collateral. A capital G. Well, my G's gain capital, nigga. Swiggy, swiggy, 
He get an ounce, I know you peeping the bounce. I've been flooding the net. You act like we in a drought. Coming out like Diana Ross, singing about what she wanted the world to know. He ain't a slouch. Look, nigga, we outside. I see you be in the house. Probably sleep on the couch. These people reaching for clout. He can vouch for himself. The credit is A1, no steak sauce. You overcooked. I ain't done with son. If butter is curry, that mean I'm clay. And I'm shooting my brother. The flurries of DOA. Dead shot. Will Smith in the movie. You'll be okay. I'm a dip after I get the chips. No Frito Lay. Cup runneth over, I'm still pouring The game clock done, so what? I'm still scoring I'm screaming all haters, I'm yelling like drill sergeants Y'all real harmless, messing with ill artists Fast, fast Yes, sir, man Put some motherfucking respect on the name, man Like I said, you know P. Butter But if you don't know Mickey Facts I mean, dude's been featured in XXL On Drink Champs He's been in the game a while, you know what I'm saying? That's why I say young OG. So definitely making big industry moves, y'all you know said. <laughs> I hate that fucking word industry, you know what I'm saying? But hey man, is what it is. And also I thought it was dope, but it recruited local producers from Orlando. Shouts to Artie and Jers. You know what I mean? For those who don't know. Artie is the producer of my single What Up, also featuring P. Butter. Check that shit out, you. <laughs> Definitely just gotta fuck, you know what I mean? Just gotta keep it real, man. I keep it real. I don't like people playing on my phone. <laughs> but yeah, man. Making big moves out here. Shouts to the faculty out here, you know what I'm saying? P. Butter, man. Motherfucking family out here. But I think that was it for new music, man. Let me double check before I make a fool of myself. You know what I'm saying? Shit. Yeah, I think that was it for new music. So we're going to move it right along. We actually do have some music topics that I want to get into. First and foremost is Iron Maiden. Making money the old-fashioned way instead of the streaming fucking bullshit that we got to deal with. His article from Rolling Stone says, How does a 45-year-old heavy metal band with fewer than 10 million monthly Spotify listeners manage to break into the best-performing albums of 2021? The answer is, true to the band's style, rather old-fashioned, by throwing vinyl LPs and CDs into Targets and Walmarts. Over the past week, while Kanye West and Drake drew most of the chart attention in the battle between Donda and Certified Loverboy for number one, Iron Maiden quietly made waves of its own when the long-running heavy metal fixture scored its highest ever chart debut for Senjutsu, the band's 17th studio album. Senjutsu bowed at number four on the Rolling Stone 200 album chart, and it got number three on the Billboard's 200, nabbing a larger opening than even the band's platinum-certified classics like Power Slave and The Number of the Beast. Senjutsu is also one of just five rock albums overall and and the only heavy metal album to open a top-five debut this year. Rather than relying on streaming, nearly 90% of Senjutsu sales came from pure album sales. Rolling Stone chart data shows 
and the ratio represents by far the highest percentage of pure album sales on the chart. Of those album sales, nearly 70% came from large physical retailers, reflecting a largely physical-driven market that the band further bolstered with exclusives at stores. Iron Maiden can move product, so the band's team pushed hard on collectibles and physical product, selling out 15,000 special edition CDs to Target, and 10,000 limited edition red vinyl to Walmart, along with posters with the record for the indie retailers. We decided we wanted to live at Target after not being in those stores for over a decade. Michael Cancho, excuse me, Michael Kachko, Senior Vice President of Catalog Recordings at Iron Maiden's label, BMG, tells Rolling Stone. Given the decreasing retail space, we thought fans would show up. We've built a great relationship with Walmart over the last few years. We knew we had success between Book of Souls and Now, with that album and with other catalog initiatives. So we fed into that and executed well. It's a good place to be to attract the retailers by giving them something unique. Iron Maiden wasn't looking to reinvent the wheel when it came to finding ways to sell Senjetsu, Dave Shack, managing director of Iron Maiden's management company, Phantom Music Management, says. The band has never been oriented towards radio or passive listening formats like streaming, so they focus on active purchases instead. Rod Smallwood, the band's longtime manager, wrote the rulebook back in the 80s, Shack says. He realized quickly that this isn't a band getting airplay on the radio, so he decided to focus on retail. While other people were fronting over the promo guys, he was getting close with people going to retail, merchandising it. Such a strategy pushed the band up the charts as they went mainstream with Book of Souls hitting number four on Billboard's chart in 2015 on similar, similarly strong sales, encouraging BMG and Maiden that they could perform even better now. Over the past 40 years, Maiden has built one of the most recognizable brands in music culture through Eddie, the band's zombie-like mascot that has been featured on the cover of all their albums alongside hundreds of thousands of t-shirts, a mobile game, and a specialty beer. Through Eddie, the band has amassed a media and merchandising empire that the band feels they can most effectively leverage through physical goods. We're interested in building streams, obviously, we want the next generation of fans, but the band is built with Eddie and the visuals, Kachko says. They've built such a strong brand that not only do we want a younger fan base to be streaming the music for exposure, this is a band that demands a physical purchase. These are albums the audience wants to own, not just stream. Focusing on pure album sales allows the band's team to work the whole album rather than focus on one or two hit singles, which Kachko calls refreshing. The team is still intent on working the tracks with writing on the wall, getting rock radio play, but the songs are still an entry point to purchase rather than the main focus. 
Um, yeah, and it goes on for another little bit, but I just thought that was pretty dope, man. Iron Maiden, one of these old school rock bands, is still charting highly, and I really like the fact that it's from physical, you know, physical album sales. The real fans are supporting the music the old school way, getting a tangible item, whether it's a vinyl record or a CD. I don't know if they still do tapes and shit like that, but um, I mean, me being a music lover, I prefer that. You know what I'm saying? I still have CDs in my car. I feel like I've mentioned that numerous times. I have a fucking crate of vinyl right by my feet here in the studio. So I just thought that was super dope, man. Shouts to Iron Maiden. Now, me. I don't even really listen to their music, but I just thought that was pretty fire. Fire. What else do we got for music stuff here? Um, let me see real quick. I also saw that uh, Eminem is opening a restaurant based off one of his old lines. Uh, what is that? Lose Yourself? Fucking. Uh, I'm going to read this and then I might have to play that song. Eminem is turning one of the most famous lines in music history about vomit into a new restaurant, Mom's Spaghetti, which will open its doors in Detroit next Wednesday, September 29th, so this week. The restaurant's name, of course, comes from the indelible opening lines of Eminem's Lose Yourself. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, Mom's Spaghetti. <laughs> But the restaurant itself isn't a new concept. As the Detroit News reports, M opened a Mom's Spaghetti pop-up in 2017, while last year he delivered Mom's Spaghetti food to frontline workers at Detroit hospitals. There were also Mom's Spaghetti pop-ups at Coachella and Firefly in 2018 when Eminem headlined both festivals. Both the pop-ups and new restaurant were created in partnership with the local restaurant group Union Joints. To promote the opening, Mom's Spaghetti has also started airing a spot on Detroit television stations and it's made its way to Twitter in all its low-budget glory. In it, M towers over the Detroit skyline via green screen technology and spits out a Mom's Spaghetti takeout carton. <laughs> While the very end of the clip, he returns ostensibly the two middle fingers up. Although his hands are covered in branded oven mitts. As for what kind of grub mom's spaghetti will serve up, well, obviously there will be spaghetti with meatballs or without. As well as a skeddy sandwich if you're looking for a serious carb bomb. Carb bomb, like carbohydrates. <laughs> The restaurant will also feature what seems to be some kind of merch annex called the trailer, which is described as a store for stands. Because if you know Eminem, you know, Stan, he literally added a word to the fucking Webster's Dictionary. His hip-hop is that influential, son. Um, but yeah, nah, I'm not going to play this song. I'm sure you've heard it. If you've seen 8 Mile, it's like, you know, if you've <laughs> if you've heard hip hop music ever, or if you've ever seen the movie Eight Mile with Eminem, then you know what I'm talking about. If not, then fuck out it. I mean, what else we got for music? I also saw. I thought this was a weird topic, but I thought it was kind of funny, so I figured I'd mention it. She, she, she. I guess 
Machine Gun Kelly, MGK, and the lead singer from Slipknot. This fucking, uh, I mean, I guess metal rock band. I think, actually, they're, I don't know if they're still making music. Rest in peace. I know their drummer just passed, like, a couple months ago. But apparently their singer and MGK have a beef. His article says, Machine Gun Kelly and Corey Taylor have taken their bickering to the final frontier. Twitter. (laughs) On Monday, September 20th, MGK explained his side of the beef, saying Slipknot frontman Corey Taylor had recorded a verse for a song on Tickets to My Downfall, but quote-unquote, it was fucking terrible, so I didn't use it. MGK added, quote-unquote, he got mad about it and talked shit to a magazine about the same album he was almost on. Y'all stories are all off. Just admit he's bitter. Um, okay, so then about an hour later, Taylor replied, I don't like people airing private shit like a child, so this is all I'll say. I didn't do the track because I don't like when people try to write for me. I said no to them. Taylor proceeded to produce some receipts in the form of an email exchange between him and Tickets to My Downfall's co-producer, Travis Barker. Barker's initial email included some notes from MGK, among them, quote-unquote, can you tell him he fucking killed it, and I'm so stoked and honored he is even on it. What the fuck? And, quote-unquote, fuck yeah, tell him he rocks. But in his reply... Taylor admitted that he, wa- he wasn't feeling some of the musical changes MGK was suggesting. So Taylor replies, I listened to the ideas, and to be honest, I don't think I'm the right guy for the track. Nothing personal, I just think if this is what MGK is looking for, someone else is the guy to do it. That's all good, and I'm stoked for him. I hope you guys find the right fit for it. Hope you understand, and I wish you guys the best with it. If I can help in any way, let me know. So then Machine Gun Kelly, hot off his red carpet bout with Conor Conor McGregor at the MTV Video Music Awards. I don't know what that's about. um, Kept his fighting spirit alive by taking a few shots at Slipknot during their competing sets at Riot Fest in Chicago on September 19th. A fan shot video captures MGK, a 31-year-old who recently dyed his tongue black, quipped in between songs saying, Hey, you know what? I'm really happy that I'm not doing being 50 years old wearing a fucking weird mask on a fucking stage talking shit. After a brief pause, MGK changed the subject, cracking. So anyway, what's everyone's favorite candy? Reese's Pieces? (laughs) All right. Uh, per the Chicago Sun-Times, Machine Gun Kelly slipped in another dig at Slipknot saying, Turn the lights up, let me see who chose to be here instead of with all the old weird dudes with masks. A rep from Slipknot did not immediately return Rolling Stone's request for comment. Petty as MGK's patter may have been, it's possible it was prompted by an insult previously leveled at him by Slipknot's frontman Corey Taylor. Back in February, Taylor appeared on the podcast Cutter's Rockcast, where he bemoaned the current state of rock music and appeared to take a swipe at MGK when he said, I hate all new rock music for the most part. Well, the artists who failed in one genre and decided to go to rock, 
I think he knows who he is, but that's another story. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I thought that was kind of funny. Fucking rock beef out here, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it also sounds like the dude from Slipknot was pretty respectful and straightforward when he kind of turned down the feature, and I guess MGK got a little butthurt about it. But I don't know. It is what it is, man. I don't know if he grew up listening to Slipknot, so maybe his feelings got hurt or something like that. But I feel like, you know, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know. I never listened to Slipknot because it was kind of like a little too dark and creepy for me. But from what I heard from MGK's album, it's like pop punk music. So I can kind of understand why the lead singer of Slipknot wouldn't really want to be involved with that kind of music, you know, and not in a disrespectful way at all. Just like, hey, man, this is not what I do. You know what I'm saying? But I don't know. I, I just know what the article said. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought that shit was funny, man. But let me see. I don't know. That might be it for music topics. Let me double check before we move on over here. She, she, she. Oh, yeah, last but not least, man, fucking prayers and positivity to Scarface. I guess his son just gave him one of his kidneys. Scarface has been sick for a while. I don't know exactly what it's from, so I don't want to misspeak. But I know he's been ill for, I feel like, at least a year now. And apparently he needed a, a, a kidney, so his son gave him one, and the surgery was, was successful. So, much love to Scarface. Glad to hear it, man. Glad to still have the OG here. Uh, actually, you know what we're, we are going to do is just to show some love to Scarface, man. We're going to play some OG motherfucking ghetto boys out here. It feels good to be a gangster A real gangster-ass nigga plays his cards right A real gangster-ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth Cause real gangster-ass niggas don't start fights And niggas always got a high cap Showing all these boys how we shot them But real gangster-ass niggas don't flex nuts Cause real gangster-ass niggas know they got them And everything's cool in the mind of a gangster Cause gangster-ass niggas think deep up 365, I am 24-7, cause real gangsta-ass niggas don't sleep. And all I gotta say to you, wanna be, wanna be cocksucker pussy pranksters, is when the fire dies down, what the fuck you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Once again, much love. Shouts to Scarface. Hope a speedy recovery, you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So moving on, we got some sports stuff here. I know we've mentioned football's back. I think baseball's approaching uh, World Series time or playoff time. But football's back. Team's not doing so hot right now. Fantasy team, one and two right now. Yeah, me, but fuck it, man. 
But listen, uh, I, I saw this little this blurb that I thought was interesting about Bobby Wagner. It says, Bobby Wagner is one of the greatest players in NFL history. He's a seven-time Pro Bowler. He's been named to six first-team All-Pro teams. He's a two-time NFL Tackles leader. He was named to the 2010 All-Decade team, and he's a Super Bowl champion. His on-field accomplishments are astonishing, but his business acumen is just as impressive. He's his own agent and negotiated his latest contract for $54 million, which made him the highest paid inside linebacker in the league. Yeah, so... (laughs) Shouts to Bobby Wagner, bro. Not only is he the highest paid linebacker in the league now, but he himself negotiated the contract. You know what I mean? Talk about DIY. Fucking took his fate into his own hands. Said, fuck it, we out here. (laughs) And you fucking paying me. So yeah, man. Shouts to Bobby Wagner. I also saw BMX star. We don't talk about BMX much on here. But BMX star Nigel Sylvester is the first BMX athlete ever to sign with the Jordan brand, the shoe brand. So shouts to Nigel Sylvester. I would also recommend checking out, I don't think we, I don't think I mentioned it on here yet. Smoke Dizza has a podcast now called the Personal Party Podcast. Or not now, but I just discovered it. So I've been, you know, going down a black hole with that shit. And on one of the episodes, he actually has this dude, Nigel Sylvester, because he's from New York. I guess they're, you know, friends of friends. They have they were associates or, you know, loose friends, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But he has them on the show and he explains kind of how he came up bike riding and this deal with the Jordan brand and everything. So it's pretty dope. I recommend checking it out. Uh, even the <laughs> the other episodes, obviously, outside of this one episode with Nigel Sylvester, it's Smoke Dizza, and he's got this dude on the B mic called Show... What's his name? Uh, Show Broadway, I think is his name. My bad if I'm fucking that up. But this dude is fucking hilarious. Just like the most New York motherfucker in the world. This dude, I don't know, man. He fucking cracks me up every time he says some shit. He's got a segment called... <laughs> He has a segment he does with the guests called Porn Star of the Week, where he like basically asks them who's their favorite porn star of the week. And literally just the way this dude even asked, yo, you in the porn? <laughs> Says it in the most New York way possible. Yo, yo, my yo, yo, son, you in the porn? <laughs> oh man. But yeah, shouts to Dizza, shouts to fucking show Broadway, and obviously shouts to Nigel Sylvester, man, making big moves out here on the motherfucking bike. He actually came up under Dave Mira, rest in peace, apparently. I feel like people who aren't even into BMX like myself know who Dave Mira is because the video game, he was like probably the most well-known BMX rider to this day, I believe. But yeah, apparently this dude was like one of Dave Mira's fucking prodigies, apparently. But I never heard of him. But yeah, man. Rest in peace, Dave Mira. Shouts to Nigel Sylvester. You know what I'm saying? I just thought that was dope, man. Um, I think that was it for sports. Just wanted to mention those real quick. Also, I don't think I mentioned just uh, going back to the J. Cole concert. It was very sports themed. You know, the offseason, he's got the basketball hoop and shit. So 
uh, that I did super appreciate. You know what I mean? That was one of the parts that I was kind of focused on during the show was just the stage setup. He had the whole basketball court behind him. He brought the hoop. You know he brought the fucking hoop. Had the rim on fire. Parts of the backboard were on fire. It was definitely a dope a dope set, I guess. You know what I mean? Just a dope setup. Um, and shouts also, ironically, like I mentioned, the producer Artie and a lot of the homies work for these production companies, so he actually helped <laughs> set up the set. You know what I'm saying? Shouts to Artie. Again, man. But yeah, bro, that was it for sports. Unfortunately, we got some RIPs, man. RIP to the legendary comic Norm MacDonald. You might know him from SNL. He was in some of the early Adam Sandler movies like Billy Madison. But I feel like one of the most famous things he's known for is the SNL skit where they do the Jeopardy parody. Will Ferrell is Alex Trebek, and Norm is this just obnoxious fucking Southern guy in the show. <laughs> and then he does Burt Reynolds in another one. Um, if you haven't seen those, definitely check it out. Actually, let me pull up a real uh, a clip real quick. I'm sure it's on fucking YouTube. I'm gonna pull up one of these SNL skits, the old school SNL skits too. Hold up. When you find the right Trojan condom for you, it will shake. <laughs> uh yeah this is an ad an unpaid ad trojan better pay you boy you know what I mean? trojan bearskin get yours on <laughs> welcome back to celebrity jeopardy before we begin the double jeopardy round, I'd like to ask our contestants once again, please refrain from using ethnic slurs. <laughs> that said, let's take a look at the scores. Sean Connery has set a new jeopardy record with negative $230,000. You think you're pretty smart, don't you, Trebek? What with your dago mustache and your greasy hair? Look, what did I just say about ethnic slurs? And finally, back again, Burt Reynolds in a commanding lead with $14. Hey. Hey, uh, check out the podium. Look at this. Mr. Reynolds has apparently changed his name to Turd Ferguson. Yeah, that's right. Turd Ferguson. It's a funny name. Great. Let's take a look at the final board. And the categories are potent potables, sharp things, movies that start with the word Jaws, a petite déjeuner. That category is about French phrases, so let's just skip it. Hey, uh, I speak a little French. You're an ass bite. Pardon my French. <laughs> my name's French. Yeah, well, who gives a damn? Moving on. Animal sounds, condiments, and finally, your ass or a hole in the ground. <laughs> Mr. Reynolds, unfortunately, you're in the lead, so we'll start with you. Yeah, I'll take the uh, condom thing for uh, 8,000. That's condiments. <laughs> for 400. This condiment is made from mustard seeds. Burt Reynolds. That's uh, not my name. 
Okay. Turd Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, what do you want? You buzzed in. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yeah, well, that's your opinion. I hate my job. The answer was mustard. Mustard is made from mustard seeds. Mr. Reynolds, it's still your board. Yeah, well, uh, why don't you give me, uh, <clears throat> why don't you give me ape tit for 200? It's not ape tit. <laughs> It's a petite, never mind. Let's just go to animal sounds for 600. This is the sound a doggy makes. Burt Reynolds. Who is uh, Scooby-Doo? No. Yeah. That was a funny dog, Scooby-Doo. He drove around a van and uh, solved mysteries. That is incorrect. No, that's correct. <laughs> I remember, you had a pal, Scrappy-Doo. Ah. No. Good Lord! We would have accepted Bow Wow or Rough. Oh, Rough, just the way your mother likes it, Trevor. <laughs> Come on, that is way out of line. M Mr. Reynolds, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I found this backstage, uh, oversized hat. It's funny. No, it's not. Sure it is. It's funny. It's funny because it's uh, bigger than a <clears throat> you know, normal hat. I, I see that. Get back to your podium. <laughs> Take a look at that. Yeah, I see it. Go back to your podium. It's not funny. What's going on? Okay, let's just move on to final Jeopardy. And the category is, you know what? I tell you what, just write a number. Any number, any number and you win. We'll accept any number, any number at all, a one or a two, or a three, but how about a four? It's that simple. I know you can do this. Let's start with French Stewart, who's grinning like an idiot. <laughs> you look pretty sure of yourself. Think you've got the right answer. Yes, I'm pretty sure of it, Alex. Well, all you had to do was write down a number, and you wrote three. <laughs> Combination of three and five. Simply stunning. And you wagered Texas with a dollar sign in front of it. I'm speechless. No, I did not get the answer from anyone else. It all came from Mr. Stewart's noggin up here. That's beautiful. Mr. Reynolds. Yeah, don't bother. I didn't write anything. Good work. All right. <laughs> Finally, Mr. Connery. The category was numbers, and you wrote a letter V. Well, I tell you what, my friend. V is a Roman numeral. So despite your best efforts, you answered correctly. Let's see what you wagered. Suck it for Beck. <laughs> That's all the time we have. Good night. Mike, would you get that off me? Ah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, man. Rest in peace to Norm McDonald, fucking legend. Legend, man. That's all I gotta say. And I, yeah, apparently I was confused. It was the same skit. I thought it was two different skits for some reason, but it's the <laughs> the skit where Norm is playing Burt Reynolds, aka Turd Ferguson. <laughs> 
Young turd, yeah, I mean. But yeah, man, rest in peace to Norm. Gone too soon, man. And I think uh, we got one more rest in peace to Janae Gagnier. G-A-G-N-I-E-R. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, I saw this on Twitter, and I just wanted to mention it because we've talked about OnlyFans a few times. This this woman was an OnlyFans star who was essentially murdered by a stalker, you know, or one of her like followers, contributors on OnlyFans or whatever. This article says they were two different people, Janae and Mercedes. On that, everyone could agree. Mercedes was outgoing, bubbly, the life of the party. She would jump on a table and karaoke to Genuine's Stingy on Instagram Live or don a sombrero and pretend to eat a giant paper mache taco for a TikTok or teach a photographer to twerk at a photo shoot. In Houston, where she'd lived for the past decade, she couldn't go to a club or restaurant without being totally mobbed with people recognizing her from her work as a video vixen or her sultry posts on Instagram, where she'd pose in form-fitting activewear or gyrate to Jasmine Sullivan in a thong bikini. Janae was a daddy's girl who made her father cook smothered chicken for her and her friends and take down her TV whenever she moved. Her younger half-sister, London, idolized her, and as kids, she would sit on the handlebars of Janae's bike as she rode her feet of her 411 frame, barely touching the pedals. She'd order four different appetizers at a time when she went out to eat, so she could take a taste of each one. And as flawless as she looked on Instagram, she'd burst out laughing while taking pictures, telling her friends to hurry up because she couldn't suck in her gut any longer. As Mercedes Moore, the voluptuous, smooth-skinned, lush-haired model who partied with Drake and had brands like Fashion Nova sponsor her on Instagram, 33-year-old Janae Gagnier had more than 2 million followers who breathlessly followed her every move. I can only imagine what a man would fantasize about Mercedes Moore because of her Instagram, says Stephania Akoli, A-K-O-L-I-E, excuse me, O-K-O-L-I-E, the reporter who broke the story of Moore's murder on ABC Eyewitness News. Most people only learned her real name after one of her followers became so obsessed with her that he violently took her life leaving YouTubers breathlessly speculating about her killer's true motives and the influencer ecosystem shaken. It's a super scary reality that this could happen to any of us, says Jets, who has hundreds of thousands of followers and manages other Instagram models as well. And now it has, I say. So I thought... I'm reading through this screenshot article because this goes on. I thought I took a picture of this one part, but I'm reading through this and I'm not seeing it in the screenshots here. It was basically saying her family, I think it was her sister and her mom came home and found her. And then they found the killer was still in the house. Apparently he, you know, he killed her and then he stayed in her house it sounded like he was um, more or less like torturing himself or cutting himself over a, the course of a few days because they said the house was covered in blood, but they found him up in her room 
basically, you know, on his last breath, pretty much as soon as they found him, they said he was still alive and like mumbling, but basically incoherent. And he eventually died before the ambulance showed up. But apparently he wrote on the walls, like in his blood and shit, like you, I don't remember exactly what it was. And I don't want to misquote it, but it was along the lines of like, you made me, you made me think you loved me or, you know what I'm saying? Something like that. Because I'm sure with the OnlyFans interaction with their fans, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they interact. Chat room, whatever the fuck, like over the video. But it, it's just scary, man, you know? And if she was a successful OnlyFans star, I'm sure she was making a lot of money. I don't know how much this particular person was contributing to her fund or whatever, but apparently they, quote-unquote, fell for her so hard that they tracked her down and murdered her and then killed themselves. So rest in peace to her, to Janae. That guy, you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I don't really have sympathy for him. No life lost is a good thing, but, man, rest in peace to Janae, man. So I think those are the only two direct RIPs. Um, but I guess since we're kind of on the sad subjects here, we'll just stick with that for a second. I don't know if you guys have seen what's going on with um, the Haitian refugees that are trying to come into America. So I think we mentioned all that stuff going on in Afghanistan and America, as we should, have been sitting here with open arms accepting people from Afghanistan, refugees, Afghani refugees, you know what I mean? But apparently Haitians trying to come over have been met with literally whips like it's fucking, you know, the not so good old days, you know what I mean? These cops on horseback, cops or border patrol, whoever they are, on horseback are fucking tracking these immigrants, refugees from Haiti. You know what I'm saying? They're tracking them down on horse, fucking whipping them, capturing them, and shipping them back. Let me see. I know I, I think I have a couple articles about this here. Let me see. Let's see which ones we got here. All right, so this article says the U.S. government is increasing deportation flights to Haiti in response to the rapid arrival of thousands of Haitian migrants in a small Texas community along the border with Mexico, the Department of Homeland Security announced Saturday. Thousands of migrants, many of them from Haiti, have crossed the border, have crossed the southern border in recent days near Del Rio, Texas, prompting U.S. immigration agents to set up a makeshift processing site underneath an international bridge to accommodate the new arrivals. As of Saturday, there were more than 12,000 migrants and asylum seekers at the massive site, according to Del Rio's mayor, Bruno Lozano, who has implored the federal government to help his small city address an unsustainable situation. Marsha Espinosa, a DHS spokeswoman, said the department will secure additional transportation to accelerate the pace and increase the capacity of deportation flights to Haiti and other countries in the Western Hemisphere within the next 72 hours. We have reiterated that our borders are not open and people should not make the dangerous journey. Individuals and families are subject to border restrictions, including expulsion. 
irregular migration poses a significant threat to the health and welfare of border communities and to lives of migrants themselves and should not be attempted, said Espinosa to CBS News. Under President Biden, U.S. border officials have continued to cite a public health law known colloquially as Title 42 to rapidly expel Mexican and Central American migrant adults and some families with children to Mexico. Roughly 87% of the more than 29,000 Haitians who entered U.S. border custody in the past 11 months have been processed under immigration laws and allowed to seek asylum, mainly because Mexico is not accepting their return under the Title 42 policy. Because of this, the U.S. has been expelling some Haitians through direct deportation flights to Port-au-Prince, while deportations to Haiti were suspended due to the August 14th earthquake that killed more than 2,000 people. The U.S. resumed those flights this week. Removal flights resumed after an assessment that country conditions were sufficiently improved that the country could receive incoming flights, a DHS official said. According to the DHS official, the U.S. is reviewing flight manifests to ensure it does not deport Haitian immigrants who may be eligible for temporary protected status, which the Biden administration extended to grant deportation relief and work permits to Haitians who were in the U.S. as of July 29th. The push to ramp up deportations, however, is likely to anger advocates of migrants who have said the U.S. should not be deporting people to Haiti, a country reeling from the August earthquake, political turmoil worsened by the July assassination of the country's president, and deep-rooted poverty. DHS also announced Saturday that it will deploy 400 Customs and Border Protection officers, as well as medical technicians, to process migrants in Del Rio. On Friday, border officials closed the Del Rio port of entry and redirected traffic to another official border crossing in Laredo, Texas. Border Patrol transported 2,000 migrants in Del Rio to other locations on Friday to process them for deportation, DHS said in a statement outlining its approach to the sharp increase in border arrivals. The strategy also includes convincing countries where migrants hailed from or resided in to take them back and providing assistance to deportees, the department said. In August, U.S. border officials stopped Haitian migrants more than 7,500 times, a 37% increase from July. Many of the Haitians reaching U.S. soil are believed to have lived in Brazil, Chile, and other South American countries before deciding to trek north during the coronavirus pandemic, which has ravaged the region's economies. Before traversing Central America, many Haitians undertake the treacherous journey through the Darien Gap, a roadless jungle region near Panama's border with Colombia. In July, the last month with available statistics, migration authorities in Panama recorded encountering 14,511 Haitian migrants who crossed the Darien Gap, the most of any nationality. 
that marked a 176% increase from June. Panama also encountered 1,135 migrants from Chile and 495 from Brazil in July, whom authorities said were the South America-born children of Haitians who crossed the Darien Gap. So think about that, dude. It was a, a hundred, over a 150% increase from two months ago, which should tell you that fucking, you know what I mean? Conditions are dire down there. People are willing to trek through this fucking jungle to get up to America. And then once they get, once they complete or almost complete this, you know what I mean? Like fucking, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Sounds like the most painful excursion of all time. But once they're almost done, they can finally almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. They're met in, in America by whip-wielding fucking horse, you know, cowboys, basically. Uh, dudes on horses fucking whipping them up, you know what I'm saying? Capturing them and then shipping them out of here. Um, it's fucking nuts, man. And then apparently there was a bunch of backlash about how these cops were treating the migrants. So allegedly, there's going to be some some consequences, but let's see. I had another one here. So this thing says, President Biden has implored Americans to heed the guidance of public health experts in order to tamp down the spread of COVID-19. But when it comes to deporting desperate refugees attempting to seek asylum at the southern border, the president's administration has relied on a discriminatory Trump-era order predicated on pandemic concerns some of these very same experts say are baseless. On Sunday, three flights containing over 320 Haitian migrants arrived in Port-au-Prince, part of the Biden administration's effort to expel the nearly 15,000 migrants who have been camped in the border town of Del Rio, Texas, waiting to seek asylum in the United States. Six more flights are expected to leave for Haiti on Tuesday, and seven are expected to depart daily beginning on Wednesday, according to the Associated Press. The law protects the right of refugees to apply for asylum once they are in the United States, but Title 42, a public health provision the Trump administration implemented in March 2020, allows for their immediate deportation. The provision, reportedly pushed by Trump immigration hawk and violent racist Stephen Miller, is based on the idea that migrants pose a unique public health risk as the United States attempts to combat the pandemic. It makes no sense from a public health perspective. It makes no sense at all, says Dr. Ronald Waldman, president of the human rights group Doctors of the World. The prohibition for crossing the border has been applied selectively to asylum seekers, but students are allowed to cross the border. Business people are allowed to cross the border. There's a lot of people crossing the border. It's a laughable line of reasoning. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're trying to convince people of the importance of public health and to listen to the advice and recommendations of public health authorities. 
It's making a mockery of public health. And then I also saw President Biden on Friday vowed to take action against Border Patrol agents on horseback whose actions in Del Rio, Texas drew widespread outrage. It's outrageous. I promise you those people will pay. They will be investigated. There will be consequences, Biden said in a response to a reporter's question at the White House. The remarks, which came after Biden talked about the rollout of booster shots for those most at risk of the coronavirus, were his extended comments about the issue since the images emerged. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is already conducting an investigation that he has said will be completed by next week. The administration is also temporarily suspended horse patrols in Del Rio, Texas. Biden said that as president, he takes responsibility for what happened. But it was horrible to see, he said. It's dangerous. It's wrong. It sends the wrong message around the world. It sends, it sends the wrong message at home. It's simply not who we are. Photos and video showed mounted Border Patrol agents waving reins in the air and charging migrants as they carried scant belongings across the Rio Grande. Biden condemned the images as flights continued to repatriate migrants, thousands of who remain at the border. So yeah. We'll see if anything happens to those cops, but it's super fucked up. And like I said, it just it doesn't make sense to me that they seem to be willing to fully accept the Afghani people. But like I said, as they should, both countries are in a fucking horrible situation right now. But it just it's like they said in the article, it seems very selective who they're trying to let in. You know what I mean? And it's crazy how quick people forget history. You know what I'm saying? I saw this little blurb online about Haiti. It said, six ways Haiti helped the USA. During the late 1700s, Haiti was the richest colony in the world, making more money than the entire Spanish empire. When the USA was battling against the English during their revolution, France, after making their wealth off of Haiti, gave $9 billion to the USA in assistance. This money was instrumental in winning the war. Without Haitian money, there would have been no USA independence. France used Haiti as a transient point to send military aid to America during its Revolutionary War in support of the American Patriot cause. The gunpowder used in the famous U.S. Battle of Saratoga came from Haiti. Haiti sent over 500 men of color to fight for the American Patriot cause in Savannah, Georgia, including children as young as 12. One of these children was the future leader of Haiti, Henri Christophe. When the Haitian Revolution happened, Napoleon, losing the world's richest colony to formerly enslaved Africans, was desperate for money. With this loss and his desperation to fund his conquest in Europe, he sold 50, excuse me, 530 million acres of land to America for money. 
These acres of land makes up what we know as the states of Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wyoming, North Dakota, and Montana. Without the Haitian Revolution, these areas would have stayed belonging to the French. During the heights of the American Civil War and the fight to keep slavery alive in the USA, Haiti offered free passage, land, and citizenship to African Americans who could make it to the ships leaving for Haiti and New Orleans. After the Haitian Revolution, France forced Haiti to pay them $21 billion in today's money for their freedom from enslavement. Over the decades, the USA became an appointed debt collector for France, accruing millions in fees. The USA took control over Haiti's gold reserve. They seized control of Haiti's customs houses, administrative institutions, banks, and the national treasury, with the United States using a total of 40% of Haiti's national income to repay debts to American and French banks over 20 years. Under U.S. government control, a total of 40% of Haiti's national income was designated to repay debts to American and French banks. So yeah, that's... I didn't know about any of that shit, except I guess like the Louisiana Purchase part of it, but all that other shit about how we gained... You know, we got loans from them, from Haiti, and just the connection with the the French and the Revolutionary War. And let's see real quick. Yeah, the Louisiana Purchase was the acquisition of the territory of Louisiana by the United States from Napoleonic France in 1803 in return for $15 million, or approximately eight. Dollars per square mile. The United States nominally acquired a total of 828,000 square miles. Total size, 530 million acres. Shit. But prayers and much love to all the Haitians, as always. I feel like we're saying that almost every episode now. But those that community goes through a lot, man. It's fucking sad, but it's a strong fucking strong lot of people, you know what I'm saying? So shouts to the Haitians, bro. Um, But yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard about the booster shots. I did see an interesting video regarding COVID. Um, I don't know if any of you follow Joe Rogan or listen to his podcast, but I don't know if Joe Rogan is necessarily like anti-vax, but... Apparently, he got COVID a few weeks back, and apparently, people were almost like happy that he got it, is what it seemed like. You know what I mean? Which is fucked up, obviously. Like, whether you like Joe Rogan or not, you shouldn't wish COVID on anybody. But I saw this this little clip that was interesting. This is Russell Brand talking on his podcast about joe rogan and the whole situation of him getting covid because apparently he took some sort of uh ivermectin it's like some supplement that you know only the rich people have access to apparently and like he was 
he was bounced right back allegedly. I'm gonna play this shit real quick. I thought it was really interesting and worth uh, worth sharing. Joe Rogan and his treatment after he contracted COVID is causing a lot of controversy. Obviously, I have no opinion on coronavirus and how to treat it, but I do have opinions on media and how media behaves with regard to particular issues, what biases are in play, what prejudices are at work, and what attitudes they reveal. Let's have a look at ivermectin, COVID solutions, their efficacy, but most importantly, how are these things discussed? They keep saying I'm taking horse dewormer. I literally got it from a doctor. It's an American company. Mm -hmm. It's a, it, they won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for use in human beings. Yeah. And CNN is saying I'm taking horse dewormer. Yeah. What, so well, they must know that that's a lie. There's a lot of people saying it. Once again, to be absolutely clear, because this is on YouTube and I don't want any aggravation, I'm not recommending anyone does anything. I really don't feel inclined to or qualified to do anything of that nature. But what happened when Joe Rogan caught coronavirus on tour was he treated himself with a number of things, including ivermectin, monoclonal antibodies, vitamin C, IV stuff. You know, like, of course, Joe Rogan is in a fortunate financial position where if he does contract any disease, I imagine he has access to the best uh, medical treatments available. Of course, what people are querying is whether or not Joe Rogan is vaccinated. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever publicly spoken about that. There are so many issues bundled together around this story. But what I find interesting is the way that Rogan has been treated by what you'd have to call the mainstream media and their appetite to condemn and in some ways with particular bias, the course of action that he took. I've got some clarity on this issue by reading Matt Tybee's piece on Substack. He said, the WHO has advised against ivermectin's use pending further studies. There have been randomised studies showing it to be ineffective in speeding recovery and the drug's original manufacturer, Merck, has said there's no meaningful evidence of efficacy for COVID-19 patients. However, it's also patently untrue, as is frequently asserted, that there's no evidence that the drug might be effective. So it seems that there is some. This past week, for instance, Oxford University announced it was launching a large-scale clinical trial. The study has already recruited more than 5,000 volunteers, and its announcement says what little is known to be true, that small pilot studies show that early administration with ivermectin can reduce viral load and the duration of symptoms in some patients with mild COVID-19. That it's a well-known medicine with a good safety profile, and because of the early promising results in some studies, it's already being widely used to treat COVID-19 in several countries. What interests me about this story is the politicisation of information. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised by that because it's something we've witnessed around every single news story for a little while now. It seems there's very little objectivity, little ability to come together in union. Everything is used as an opportunity to score points either for what is regarded as the left and right, but what some people would argue are kind of false divisions, old-fashioned divisions, out-of-date divisions. Nonetheless, it's difficult to get clarity. With coronavirus, surely whether we're talking about the vaccines or potential treatments, it should just be there is this problem, coronavirus, and the problem is causing all manner of consequent difficulties as a result of the lockdowns, the controversy. Let's look at the medical treatment as objectively as we possibly can. That doesn't seem to be what's happening. Much of the reporting around Joe Rogan, for example, seemed to initially take delight that he had coronavirus, kind of wanted him to suffer as a result of it and was deeply cynical about the method of his treatment. As Joe Rogan said in his podcast, he did get better 
very, very quickly, suggesting that, at least in his case, the course of treatment that he took was effective. But it oughtn't be a political thing. If you're a person who wants to be vaccinated, you should become vaccinated if you're comfortable with the information that you've been given around that subject. If you're a person that doesn't want to be vaccinated, you should be entitled to make your decision. Now, what people, of course, will say is you not being vaccinated will affect other people. Now, I think that's actually a fantastic attitude if you want to consider the way your actions affect other people. And in fact, I would love to see that attitude applied across a whole host of issues from distribution of wealth, public speech, education, how your personal actions affect others. And if that's not something you're really into, then it's interesting that it's being applied stringently in one area of public and medical life and not others. The sort of rise of authoritarianism around this subject, for me, causes some concern. What I would like to see is open, plain communication and individual liberty and freedom to choose what course of action you want to take. The Oxford text also says there's little evidence from large-scale randomised controlled trials to demonstrate it can speed up recovery from the illness or reduce hospital admission. But to a person who might have a family member suffering from the disease, the information about early promising results would probably be enough to inspire demands for a prescription, which might be a problem, of course, unless someone was looking for that information, they wouldn't find it, as mainstream news of even the Oxford study has been effectively limited to a pair of Bloomberg and Forbes stories. Unless there's transparency and communication that has good faith behind it, rather than obviously bad faith, people, it's really easy to assume that there are agendas at play, it, like that people would prefer you to take a certain course of action and that that preference is not necessarily based on the well-being of people in general, but other incentives. And if what you desire is a positive outcome for everybody, then surely that's coming from a place of kindness, compassion and tolerance. And I recognise compassion, kindness and tolerance when I see it in the way that people communicate, in the kind of their openness and good-heartedness. So I think if you don't understand why people would be cynical about you know, pharmaceutical companies and the government, then I don't think you've been paying attention for the last 20 years. You know, it's clear that there's a degree of circumspection is judicious when dealing with centralised bodies. You only need to look at the legal histories of pharmaceutical companies. Again, I'm not suggesting any course of action for a medical situation. It's not something I feel qualified to deal with for anybody other than myself, and barely even in that instance. But what I will say is that in an environment of outward hostility, judgment, condemnation, good outcomes are difficult to achieve. Ivermectin has suffered the same fate of thousands of other news topics since Donald Trump first announced his run of presidency nearly six years ago, cleaved in two to inhabit separate factual universes for left and right audiences. Repurposed drugs generally have a hard time being taken seriously since Trump announced he was on hydroxychloroquine last year. And ivermectin clearly also suffers from its association with Republican senators like Ron Johnson. Still, the drug's publicity issues go beyond the taint of conservative news. The drug has become a test case for a controversy that's long been building in healthcare about how much input patients should have in their own treatment. Well before COVID-19, the medical profession was thrust into a revolution in patients' information inspired by a combination of Google and new patients' rights laws. Should people on their deathbeds be allowed to try anything to save themselves? That seems like an easy question to answer. Should the entire world be allowed to practice self-care on a grand scale? That's a different issue. Some would say absolutely not, while others would say the corruption of pharmaceutical companies and the medical system unfortunately makes it a necessity. The world is increasingly divided along this trust-untrust axis. 
interesting and I would say accurate analysis there. So I suppose going forward with coronavirus, with high profile cases, with the treatment of it or the prevention of it, an attitude of openness and kindness is necessary, of non-judgment, of prioritising science and recognising that science is not free from biases, that science exists within certain economic and financial constraints with certain economic and financial imperatives. And one way of creating more trust would be the removal of those constraints, the removal of those imperatives, so that true transparency could be achieved. Yeah, man. Shouts to Russell Brand. You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, I just played that because the article had briefly mentioned the booster shots, which I've been seeing more and more in the news. I guess they just approved these booster shots. I think it was Pfizer for, I think it seems like this the same way that the vaccine started out. Initially, it's just old people or the sick and whatnot, but... You know, like he said, I'm I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not going to tell you what to do or what to think. I just wanted to relay some information that he was relaying to us. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's really all I got to say about that. The booster shot seems to be out there. I'm sure it'll be in your local corner store soon. <laughs> damn, damn, damn right. <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, what else do we got? I thought it was interesting because all this stuff is going on in Afghanistan, and it was just the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, September 11, 2001, you know, uh, the Twin Towers attack. I mean, I remember, as most of us do who are my age or older, probably a little younger probably too, but I remember I was in sixth grade sitting in homeroom, and we fucking, you know, we never really turned the TV on for anything, but... We got news that that shit happened, and we flipped the TV on, and we just saw the towers with the smoke, and um, yeah, it was just crazy. I thought that was super interesting how 20 years later, at the 20-year anniversary, we're still having friction and issues over there in Afghanistan. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, prayers and positivity to everyone who was impacted by 9-11, and then also, you know, Everyone who's being currently impacted by the situation over there now because it doesn't sound pretty, man. I'm not super up on all that stuff, but... um, What else do we got? We don't have too much more, I don't think, man. Let me double check over here. Alright, to be honest, I don't, I don't really want to read this whole article, but... Let me see. I'll just find this guy's name. You know what? Fuck it. We don't even need his name. But there's this doctor. Actually, yeah, we do need his name because this was a ballsy fucking move. Where is this at? All right. Fuck it. I guess I'm reading this article. I'm not going to read the whole thing, though. But a lawsuit that could test the constitutionality of the nation's most restrictive abortion ban was filed in Texas Monday against a doctor who admitted to performing an abortion considered illegal under the new law. The details of the civil suit against Alan Braid, a physician in San Antonio, are as unusual as the law itself, which empowers private citizens to enforce the ban on abortion once cardiac activity has been detected. 
often as early as six weeks into the pregnancy. Braid stepped forward last week to say that he provided an abortion to a woman who was in the early stages of pregnancy, but beyond the state's limit. Despite the risks, Braid said he acted because of his duty as a doctor and because she has a fundamental right to receive this care. I fully understood that there could be legal consequences, but I wanted to make sure that Texas didn't get away with its bid to prevent this blatantly unconstitutional law from being tested. On Monday, an Arkansas man said he decided to file a lawsuit to test the constitutionality of the Texas measure after reading a news report about Braid's declaration. Oscar Stilley, a former lawyer convicted of tax fraud in 2010, said he is not personally opposed to abortion but believes that the measure should be subject to judicial review. If the law is no good, why should we have to go through a long, drawn-out process to find out if it's garbage, Stilly said in an interview after filing the complaint in state court in Bexar County, Texas, which includes San Antonio. But he has also noted that a successful lawsuit could result in an award in court of at least $10,000 for the plaintiff. If the state of Texas decided it's going to give a $10,000 bounty, why shouldn't I get that $10,000 bounty, said Stilly, who is currently serving his 15-year federal sentence on home confinement. That the first legal challenge to the Texas law came from a convicted felon in Arkansas it was somewhat surprising. The anti-abortion group Texas Right to Life has been gathering anonymous tips about potential violations but had not yet filed a lawsuit in part because abortion providers and clinics said they were complying with the law. The group has also been temporarily barred by state court decisions from suing certain providers in parts of the state. So yeah, I mean, shouts to Dr. Braid. You know what I mean? This young woman wanted an abortion for whatever reason, so he said, fuck the law, granted her that right. You know what I mean? Instead of making her leave the state, and then it sounds like this other guy, uh, what's his name, Stilly, is literally just bored at home and decided to fucking challenge uh, the state of Texas trying to get a quick buck. I mean, I'm not mad at that, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> yeah, man, it's. I just think it's crazy that a bunch of old men are making laws about whether or not women can have abortions, you know what I mean? Because I read somewhere else, one of these fucking state officials was basically saying, like, a woman can just say no, you know, like, if you don't want to get pregnant, just say no to sex. Like, oh, so, all right, so you never heard of rape. You never heard of, uh, you know what I mean? Just, like, situations that unfold in an unfortunate manner, you know what I mean? Like, it's not always the desired outcome, let me just say that, you know what I mean? Even if it was all women's board you know board of commissioners or whatever the fuck making the laws i still feel like i don't know it's the human body i don't know how you can police anybody else's body period man woman whatever like your body's your body like i don't know man shit's crazy out here but i think that's all we have man i know today's a pretty fucking long episode you know what i'm saying sometimes we get in these grooves man can't really you know what i mean i don't know how to stop sometimes man i'm fucking around but uh, you know the motherfucking vibes, B. It's episode 59, K-Podcast. 
Gotta say it one time. Stay safe. Stay smart. Stay sexy. And stay motherfucking tuned. Episode 60 coming soon. We gonna see. (laughs) Sometime next week, most likely. But, yeah, man. We about to get the fuck out of here. Alright. Much love. Peace, you motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. Hey! Got to, got to pay back. Revenge.